I always feel when I come, Bowmanville, uh, I've said this before, all my heavenly rewards are used up. <laughs> That's it. It's all done from that point on. That's because he's so kind and gracious. Uh, much that I could say, those of you that I don't know and I haven't been blessed to, to know yet, I would just say by way of introduction a few words, I would say that and more with Tony and Crystal and their family. We have been blessed to do this period of life together, and it has indeed been sharpening, also encouraging, and wonderful and, and sweet, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. So uh, you are blessed, Bowmanville. I do want to say this. This is one thing I need to say, and it would be wrong to not be here and take advantage of every time not to say this. If you do not know this already, you are blessed to have this pastor. You're tremendously blessed. This is a man of God, an honest, sincere heart, loves and knows the word. And this little corner of the universe here at Bowmanville, you are blessed to have Tony Slot and his family here. And I pray that you know that. And in one sense, I know you do. I'm just here to remind you of that. So it is something for me, not just to tell you that, to be in this pulpit as well too. So I don't take that lightly. And again, just by way of introduction, uh, to say uh, you are indeed a family that is blessed. And I say that you're a family because it always feels like a bit of home when we come. When Carrie and I and the family come, there's just so much here that we have at Westmount and vice versa. And that's because there's something sweet that we have together, and it's called unity. We're going to talk about unity today. I love how the men put together the service. It's just so fitting. We're going to talk about unity and really what unity is biblically. But, you know, the picture is here. As I think about Westmount, our congregation in here, Bowmanville, there's a lot of great things that we not only have in common, but we do together. Of course, Tony and I will swap pulpits over the next two weeks, and that's a blessing for both of us to do, and even as the churches, indeed, Gord, get excited about that. I mean, it's all good for sure. Um, you will have, and I should mention this as well, Pastor Barris here next week. He's kind of a native son, our resident Apollos there. You will see that uh, he too, a gifted man of God to bring the word to you. So I'm excited for you to have Pastor Barris open the word for you as well. But all of that, Bowmanville, speaks to the unity that we share and listen, I want to say to introduce this morning, not just unity proper, unity generally. This is very important as we think about where we're going this morning. This is biblical unity. This is divine unity. This is the only unity that there is. That's what we have together. It's not only sweet unity, but it's necessary unity. And we're going to talk about this this morning. This is the thing that beyond these walls is thirsted for, but is elusive. Is that not true? What is true unity? What is the true glue that keeps people together? <clears throat> and with that, Bowenville, I, I know you know this. Imagine with me just for a moment as we set the table this morning. I want you to imagine your life without unity. Imagine if unity just was not a part of your life at all. And you say, well... Sounds an awful lot like a lot of the things we're seeing today, and, and you would be right. Imagine your life without unity. We're thankful when we think about the unity we have, but you know the growing reality of a lack of unity is the order of the day, is it not? That is the reality. 
In fact, I'd submit to you, beloved, that is precisely what is being encouraged and fostered beyond these walls. For sure. Beyond the walls of Bowmanville Baptist Church, beyond the walls of Westmont Bible Chapel, that is precisely what is being promoted. And consider with me, not slowly, but rapidly. Is that not true? This is not a slow, what just happened? This is an immediate thrust down throats. And consider the exact opposite then of what the true church experiences. And it is this, it's ungodly division. It's not godly unity, it's ungodly division. It's not only tearing people apart, but the attempt is to tear God from people. The aim of this ungodly program, I believe you see it when you look around, is anything but unity. The aim and order of the day is anything but unity. It is driving people further apart. It is, in practice, division and destruction. Redefine the family, the once paragon of unity. Redefine the family. Kill the babies in their safest place. Promote fear, invent guilt, and we can go on and on and on. Sure, it's not so stark, right? You ask anyone that stands in the world and say it's not that stark. It's given shiny, happy labels, isn't it? It has all these fancy, bright, shining labels. And they, they go like this. Have you heard them? Rights. Choice. Inclusion. Have you heard those? That's the veneer of unity. A Trojan horse for destruction that it brings in. Terms designed to appear to be drawing us together, but in reality, they are, and I say this intentionally, they are satanically devised to destroy us. Why do we say that? Because it's clear when we look at Scripture, this is indeed the illusion and deception of unity that is a stronghold filled with arguments and lofty opinions ultimately raised against what? The knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10. If we could sum it up most practically and tragically, get people to worship safety and self and watch them retreat and wither. Get people to worship safety and self, bubbles and so on, and then watch them retreat and wither. That is the program. That's how you get people apart. Bowmanville, I know you agree with me. It's effective, isn't it? It's effective, very effective. And I ask you this. Let's do this. Just consider with me. Leave the world for a moment. What of in the professed church, the label church, this question, are we more unified or divided than we were three years ago in the church? You know the answer to that question, sadly, don't you? You know the, the answer. So that's a very important consideration for us this morning. Turn to Psalm 133. All that by way of precursor to the text, but it's helpful because we come to a text like this and we want to cut it right. And as you're turning there then, some thoughts to tie all this together. This morning we're going to think through this question, how are we to live in this division? How are we to live in this ungodliness? Bowmanville, how are we going to do this? Now in some senses, I know you know this already. 
As I said off the top, and I want to be clear, you're so well fed here and well armed biblically by Pastor Tony. Can't ask for better. So I know you know this. And Bowman this is just by way of reminder. Whatever is ahead in the weeks and months and years to come, we need these reminders. So I know you know much of this already. I want to be clear about that. But we, we are going to entertain that question again this morning. How are we going to live in this ungodliness? Well, Bowmanville Saints, when we think about sustaining an ungodliness, look down at Psalm 133. This psalm is going to help us. And it's not necessarily the first place you may think to go when you think about living in a world of division and destruction. But this is precisely the kind of text in God's Word we need. We need it. We will learn in this text that we live in unity. That unity only comes from above. We live together. We live in and with the body of Christ, not apart from it. You see right away the jarring juxtaposition in the world, right? We live in proximity together. And here it is. We live of like mind. There can be a professed label today. It says think together, in it together. But what does that mean? Here we will see precisely flowing out of this text what it truly means to be of like mind. So saying all that, I'm reminded that it needs all kinds of qualification and definition today, does it not? You hear the word unity or the aim for unity a lot. So we need to get biblical grounding. Is that not true? When we think about these terms. What is unity? What is life together? What is like mind? They're not automatic questions, so we seek the answers and the definition that the Bible has for us. We seek what the Word of God has to say about defining unity. As such, we look at Psalm 133, and the psalm will help instruct us on what God has to say about living united. One final word by way of introduction. Church, this word in Psalm 133 and I pray this will set our hearts right on this text. Like all of the Psalms and all of God's Word, is timeless. I want you to just think with me for a moment. You are holding in your hand the timeless, eternal, inerrant Word of God that cuts through everything you just heard on the way here and everything you'll hear on the way out. This, you are holding in your hand the Word of God from above. And why do we need a reminder of that? Because I remind you that every other word that you hear today is not that. When I say today, I mean in this day and age. This word in your hand is consistent and it is true. And if we're not careful, sometimes we don't realize we're listening to a whole bunch of inconsistent words. Hypocritical words, contradictory words. Let me give you just one object lesson. Unlike those words... This word of God is consistent. Unlike those words, and what do we mean by those words, which concurrently preach, only in those words can you have the presentation of consistency that says we're in it together, but distance from one another. Only in those words can you have that presented. And look at the end of such preaching, of such inconsistency. Beloved, your peace this morning is that you have God's Word that is consistent, that indeed defines unity. We are not 
When we think about God's Word, being told that virtual is the new intimacy, you're not told that in God's Word. In God's Word, you're not told that isolation is your only help. You're not told that in God's Word. God's Word doesn't say that the new normal to be together is two-tier division. That's not what you see in God's Word. You don't see in God's Word distance, drift, and divide. That's a stronghold and lofty opinion in the world, but it is not, listen, Bowmanville, it's not God's way. It's not God's way. Worse, and this is what we need to be weary of, and I know, again, you're well prepared by Tony with this, Many that profess to be God's church subscribe to some of these lofty opinions today. And we say this for your protection. Groups with church in their name cry togetherness and then they shut the doors. Some cry tolerance, then shut down biblical conversations and rewrite biblical commands. Isn't that astonishing today? The rewriting of biblical commands. And worse yet, others cry unity. And when they cry unity, which is always compelling on a surface level, they'll put a colored flag outside of the church attempting to call what God says is evil good. Isaiah 5. In such church, true unity is a vital reminder for us as we think of living today. How do we, Bowmanville, live in ungodliness? We live together as God's people, not apart. How do we live in ungodliness? As we will see, you live in unity, biblical unity, which we're going to unpack now. Let's see that in our text this morning. Look down with me. Let's read it. Psalm 133 says this, A song of a sense of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, and it be only you that I would get out of the way so that your people can hear from you on unity in Psalm 133. Lord, give us eyes to see, minds to understand, hearts to receive, and hands and feet to live this text, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as you look at it again, the beloved dwelling in unity, a powerful and poetic even picture that you see in Psalm 133, but you see the focus here, so much so that you do get the announcement of unity, and then the picture of unity. Very, very clear. So let's take a closer look. And just by way of a framework of our walkthrough of this text, there's layers here that we're just going to be adding on top of one, on top of another. So very straightforward, but you'll see as we put it all together at the end, you get a very clear understanding of biblical unity. So let's begin. Our first point would be this. Look at verse 1. Dwelling. The dwelling. We begin, of course, in many of these psalms, you can look right at the beginning, and it says a song of a sense of David. That is even before verse 1. Those are not to be confused with subheadings. Many Bible translations, they will have what would be a committee thrusting a, a subheading on there. These, and you'll see them, they're normally capitalized. Looks like lowercase capitalized. Those are in the Hebrew manuscripts. 
So we treat them as we should. They're very helpful for us, so we do consider them a song of ascents of David. Now when we think about ascents, or a song of ascents, here in Psalm 103, it's noted as such, a song of. Presumably there's others, other song of ascents. In fact, if you were to quickly scan 120 to 134, Psalm 120 to 134, you would see and know that those also are songs of ascents. And what is that? These were psalms that were pilgrim songs, meaning they would be sung while on a pilgrimage. Pilgrim songs, sung during pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Presumably three times a year as they are going up to Jerusalem. Think about what better way to spend the time than what? Singing as they went up to Jerusalem. They would have been sung, these psalms, and note this, journeying up and ascending together. That's what a pilgrimage is, right? They're journeying up as God's people together, and that's important. The Israelite would not have popped in his psalm CD in the car with just himself and got a boost, right, from some mechanical thing. No, he would have done it in concert physically with God's people on a pilgrimage together. That's so important. This psalm, as you see it here, was given to be sung corporately. That's why it was given. It was given to be sung with others corporately. Brothers and sisters, we must pause to meditate on that. I want you to think of how Israel sustained in a very difficult environment. One of the ways God gave them to do that is that they were to come together, sing together as they journeyed together. Do you see that? It's so simple. A mechanism from God. The underpinning of unity. Be together, journey together, sing together. Yes, the attacks on them are well documented in the Old Testament. You can think of them. They abound. The ungodly around. Yet this, the Psalter instructing them not only to be together, but I love this, sing together. Sing together. Saints, we have to grab onto this. Bowmanville, let your singing not just be here on Sundays. Not just be here on Sundays. Sing throughout the week. Whenever you gather, as you gather, whether it's a doxology, whatever it is, sing. Come together, sing. It's unifying, isn't it? It's so good to sing together because it is not just the practice of unity, it's the picture of unity to sing together. I felt that already as was there and we were singing this morning. It's just so good. One of the things I love about coming here, you just hear you all sing. And you sing robustly and together. Carrie and I, my wife and I, are blessed to be at another church a few weeks ago and was talking to uh, the elders after and said, you know what, I don't even need to ask you if you're united. I heard it. It's very similar to Bowmanville. You just hear the unity in your singing. This is not a disjointed congregation. Your singing tells all. It's so, so good. So how do you live in ungodliness, Bowmanville? You come together, you sing together. Now, look again at verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. If you look at that closely, this is divine declaration. God in His inspired Word has this to say. Look at it. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So much there to pull apart, but let's start with the end. Dwell in unity. Dwell in unity is more plainly rendered, if we could just do it very wooden, it would be dwell together. 
dwell together. Look at that word. That's what's behind it. A very distinct, domestic, physical sense is being communicated here. That's right in the word. A habitation, roof and all, together. This is unity that is habitation and presence together. We can't miss this. So, what are we saying, saints? This is more than just spirit, right? This is more than just spirit, right out of the text. There is spirit, yes, but much more. This is spirit that leads to physical presence. Do you see that? This is spirit that must be manifest in physical presence. Beloved, this text, this is why we need exegesis and we need expository preaching, right? This is where you get into these words and you pull out what the Holy Spirit is communicating to us because this text, when we mine it, leaves no room for expressions like this. We're together in spirit. Or it's, it's as if I'm there with you. Or praise the Lord for technology. Listen, those may have a place, I want to be clear, they may have a place, but they're not in this text. They're not in this text. This text says dwell together, be together. Yes, if it's the middle of winter, see each other's breath together. That's what this text says. Such modern day pacifiers of together in spirit, or it's like I'm actually there, are foreign to the Word of God. This is dwell together. This is physical being with close together proximity. This is beloved dwelling together. I encourage you to never forget this. As you gather today, Bowenville, keep gathering together. In the days ahead, keep gathering together. How is there unity in a good, healthy church like this? Is it because you gathered in spirit over the past two years? Is that what's cobbled you together because you were in spirit? You added a bit of technology? No. How have you survived deception and oppression because of adaptive strategies? No. Bowmanville, you have gathered together. It's such a beautiful picture what you have here. You did with Tony and Crystal, our home. You gathered. You didn't stop gathering together. Don't stop. Because you have dwelled together, you have stayed together. You physically remain together. And it means, again, so that we're clear this morning, this word in this psalm speaks about physical proximity. It's not texts, it's not calls, it's not emails, it's not communication that binds you together. It's proximity and presence. And I hate to belabor that point. You know, I really do as I was preparing this. But we have to, don't we? Listen, I'm with you where you can trick yourself into thinking sending a text or an email will do something. Beloved, the text says no, it doesn't. And not just because they weren't around in ancient times. The text just says there's only one way to be together. That's physically. There's only one way. Brothers and sisters, remember as you look at this text again, the divine declaration. Gather Sunday. Gather Tuesday. Gather Friday. Gather and sing. Be together. Be together. What does God say then? What's his commentary, his pronouncement on the beloved dwelling together? Back to verse 1 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When God's people, in other words, sing together, be together, dwell together, dwell in unity, God says this, here's the declaration from on high, it is good stamp, and it is pleasant stamp. Simple reminders on biblical definition here. When you see this 
commendation from God. What does that mean? We use a word like good all the time, don't we? I reckon in a room like this, you used it already many times this morning. When someone said, how are you doing? You said, I am good. I am good. And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to be reminded that we do use these biblical words often and maybe without thought. The meal was good. How are you? I am good. How are things going? They are good. These are quick response words. In these cases, we've made a word like good, and here is the point. We've made a word like good what? A divine word, a high word. We've made it what? A common word. We've taken a good word, pun intended, we've taken that, and we've made it a common word, have we not? Everything is good. But that is a far cry from the good and its definition we encounter in the Bible. In fact, think of the opening chapter with me. What is the closing summative statement of the opening chapter of God's Word? Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was what? Good. Very good. No, good is not common. No, good is not just ordinary. Listen, Bowmanville, good is divine. Good is divine. Good is what God declares like creation when brothers dwell in unity. Isn't that fantastic? He says it's good, like creation. What else? God also declares that dwelling together, so it's good, but not only is another one, is what? Pleasant. Look at that word pleasant in your text. That word is taken from a word that means agreeable, harmonious, or sweet. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. How often can you have agreement? We love agreement, don't we? If you're like me, you squirm at disagreement, right? We love agreement. We strive very hard to be agreeable because it's, quite frankly, what more comfortable to be agreeable. And that's true and right and good. But I want you to think for a moment about agreement. I think often when we think about biblically defining things, we can lose this sometimes. Are we simply talking about agreement? Two people giving assent. And we can say that that happens often, I submit to you. And this is particularly worth noting in light of all the disagreement in the world today. Think with me, Bowmanville. Two friends can agree to eat at the same place together, right? They can agree on that. Two companies can agree to merge. That's agreement. And two individuals can agree on the same plan. That's agreement. That is, like good, common, is it not? We see agreement can be very common. It is pleasant, and it could even be sweet, but I ask you this, is all agreement godly? Is all agreement godly? What if the agreement is between thieves? What if they agree to a heist? The robbers are in full agreement, and the plan goes off without a hitch. They agree, and they have a culmination of their agreement. In fact, you can imagine the scene, right? Some back alley somewhere, you hear the glasses clink, and they'd even say things like, good job. Our plan that we agreed on worked well together. You know the scene. Lots of laughs, lots of handshakes, we did it. You get a lot of agreement in a scene like that, but it is anything but godly, right? In fact, quite the opposite. No, unity is so much more than, than just agreement or even harmony. And Bowmanville, again, I don't want to press these points too much, but it is critical we understand, is it not? Unity is not just agreement, right? Unity is not just agreement. 
Unity is, in fact, much more than just agreement and so much more than just harmony. I can think of many times, maybe some of you can as well, I was saved later in life. Later in life, spent most of my living years on this earth as an unbeliever in God's sovereignty. I can think of many, many times I had many friends and we agreed on many things and we were having lots of so-called relationship, even might have called it fellowship, lots of times together. It might have even been, I might have said sweet, but listen to me, it was anything but godly. In the same way, the world today, just because two people nod their heads to something, can be tricked into thinking we are just getting along. They're not. And this is why this is so important. There is a divine declaration, a stamp on what unity is. And it's this. It is both good and pleasant. It is not one without the other. It is a pleasant that is good. Said another way, it is godly agreement. Godly agreement. Said yet another way, it doesn't matter how sweet it is. It is bitter. Yes, it is bitter ultimately if God's not in it. That's right. God must declare something to be good for it to be good. Do you see that? God must declare it to be good for it to be good. God doesn't declare that our choices, if we feel like they're good and right, are good. No. God doesn't declare that because the law of the land says this and everyone's in agreement and like 90% of people say it. No, God must say in his word it is good for it to be good. Do you see that? As such, the same with unity. He defines it. And godly agreement is only on his terms. Again, there's a lot of agreement today, but hardly godly agreement. Saints, we, we must press this point and not forget this because we understand the trajectory of this current day, don't we? And we have seen, Tony will tell you, far too many that once held this like this are holding it like this and soon will be holding it like this. Because it must be what God says. God defines the terms. Unity and goodness from Him. As such, godly agreement about God what God says is good, not what we feel or is comfortable. Godly agreement in our assembling that is anchored in God's word, not our own word. Godly agreement in singing, being, dwelling, and living together. That's unity defined by God. As such, Bowmanville, how do you live in ungodliness? You continue in your godly agreement that you have right now. And as you do, God declares such unity in Bowmanville Baptist Church, good. Good and pleasant. So unity is dwelling together. Secondly, anointing. Look at verse 2 and 3. First part of 3. Look at verse 2 with me. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Beautiful imagery there, no doubt. And it's the image of what? This is the image, remember, of brothers dwelling together in unity. I want you to note the comparison language in verse 2. Again, we pull these words out. It says, it is like... It's like a simile. It's, it's telling you that here's a picture of what unity is. This is the picture of it. In that we encounter some very descriptive, and as I mentioned off the top, almost poetic language. Look at it again. Precious oil running down the beard, running down the collar of Aaron's robes. Aaron and his sons, by the way, and many of you know, the appointed priests of Israel. 
In fact, Aaron and his sons were the first priests, if you remember, from the tribe of Levi back in Exodus. The book of Exodus, in fact, tells us, chapter 28, that this was more than an appointment. It was more than just an appointment. Oh, I need someone to be priests. You. No, it was more than that. Aaron and his sons, not just named, but if you remember that book, they were also called to be consecrated, set apart. So not just in label, not that there's ever just a label in God's Word. They were called to be consecrated. That word means set apart as priests for godly service. And as, as such, when they're serving the Most High God, they need that consecration. They need that appointment. They needed to be set apart. Then Exodus 29 describes this consecration amid a myriad of instructions on the consecration ceremony for the priests. Let me just read you Exodus 29.7. It says this, You shall take, these are the instructions to Moses for the priests, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head, that's Aaron, and anoint him. That's it. That's what we get in Exodus 29.7. Here we get it expanded. This is what more it's like here in psalm 133 we're given the details of that consecration what it looks like and even more a picture is given with it that setting apart that making holy now let's put this together in verse 2 again look at it when that oil is poured on the head it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of aaron down in fact note the flow to the collar of his robes the oil does not just touch the head, but note, note, like meandering like a river. Where does it go? Down the beard, down to the collar of the robe, the head to the chin to the neck. And here's why this picture is so important. This is the effect of the anointing. So in context here, the point is for the priest, the anointing would be not just on his head, his whole body. Do you see that? That's the point. It affects the entire body. The anointing from the head affects the entire body. It runs down and runs down and runs down. In other words, it's a Israelite, in case you read Exodus 29.7 too quickly, don't miss this. This is a full anointing. Do you see that? That's the point. That's why it's such a good picture. The oil doesn't just stay there like a dab on the head. It runs down and spreads. It spreads and permeates. That is the picture. And that's the reality of unity's precious flow. Now, that's in context here in the psalm and the picture of Aaron. But let's take that and consider the unity of God's Word. Certainly, in some form, some of you are thinking, well, that is pointing and certainly reminds me of something we see in a different dispensation of another set of God's people, the church. And it is true. Priestly anointing is what this psalm is talking about, but it points to the reality of consecration, of holy consecration, and it's spread not just in Israel, but think about 1 John 2.20. It says this to the brothers, but you have been anointed by who? The Holy One. An anointing for the saints that flows from where? The head. And who is the head? This group of God's people, Jesus Christ. Christ is the head. And First John, then, we're talking about Him. He is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church, His body. Anointing, then, has a source, we learn, in both, old and new, a place and an effect. Anointing has specificity. And that's it. So, too, for our anointing church. Let's 
pull out the principle in Psalm 133 and, and think about the body of Christ today. It is true for our anointing church and our unity. That's the picture for us today. We are not called together under a priestly anointment under the old covenant. No. We, Christian, have been anointed by the one that inaugurated the new covenant, Jesus Christ. We have been set apart by Christ, set apart by Him, for Him, and in Him. As we look post-cross, as we consider our stead as this gathered body at Bowmanville, it is true that Christ is our anointing. He is the head, and His anointing is what runs down to the rest of the body. And I want you to note the picture as it applies to us today in principle. Christ and the flow, His flow from the head, is what binds us together. It must be Christ. This is what unity looks like biblically today. Unity that flows from our head and our anointing by our head. Bowmanville, you know this. There is no anointing, nor is there unity without Jesus Christ. And we have a big period there for a moment to consider this. We must say it again. There is no unity at all without Jesus Christ. You say, well, lots of people laugh, get along, and have campfires and, and do's and all of these things. Yes, they do. They have agreement, but they don't have true, godly, lasting agreement. In fact, you all have probably stories of the fact that it is not eternal agreement, is it? What was yesterday's laugh and good times is tomorrow's what? Hardship. Because Christ doesn't bind together. Christ is that. Church, Christ is our anointing. Christ is the one from whom unity flows. He's the foundation of our unity, Bowmanville. We have no dwelling together apart from Him. What binds Westmount and Bowmanville together? Tony and Jason? No. No, I mean, Tony might be able to hold on to that one, but I certainly can't. It's Jesus Christ. There is no unity in relationship without Jesus Christ. He is what binds us together. Hence why, if people aren't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're not getting anywhere. Jesus Christ is our head and our anointing and our flow. And church, I, I cannot overstate this. There's no unity outside of Jesus Christ. I know as a young Christian, I had to just shatter that bubble very quickly. There's no unity outside of Jesus Christ. There's only, listen, there's only everything in Him, Colossians 1. That's it. Only everything in Him outside of Christ Nothing. Nothing. Thus, how do you live in ungodliness? You remember your anointing. Saint, you're not of this world, nor are you of the prince of this world. You may be surrounded by evil service, but listen, you're not called to it. You may be surrounded by evil orders, evil narratives, horrific badges, but you're not called to it. You're set apart from it. You have a different head, the true head. You are anointed, you're consecrated, you're set apart by Christ to serve Him. He is Lord. This means anything that's not flowing from Christ, your head, is not unifying. And remember, it doesn't matter how well-meaning or close, it's not unifying. And again, we say this to you as by way of reminder for the months ahead and years ahead. 
I'm just going to guess here, which is never a good thing. There are many things ahead that are going to sound very good and very unifying. But beloved, I believe I speak for Tony here and say this. It's, they're not of Christ. It can sound really good. I'm very disturbed by some of the things I'm hearing coming out of the church, particularly around those hot-button issues, redefinitions of sexuality and abortion. It's going to sound good. But listen, it all flows from this fountainhead. Did God really say? Right? It's not of Christ. It's not of Christ. Unity, listen, it's the anointing that we have for Israel the priestly anointing for us as the church in Christ. In fact, in all things we could say it is Christ. It's always ever been. With his anointing, this reality is broadened in a final picture. Verse 3, it's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon, the largest mountain in Israel, by the way, marking the northern boundary of the promised land. So if you're looking at that mental map you have in your mind of Israel, it'd be on the northern boundary. It was known in that, you can imagine, in the Middle East, it was known for its snow-capped tip. That's what made it really unique. Not only was it the largest, it had snow on the top, which would have been a thing for sure at that time. And it was known also for its abundance, thus, of dew, of dew that would settle on its tip. And see the picture here of Hermon-like dew. It was known for its dew that would come off the mountain. Well, here's the picture David is giving. The picture is like unity is like Hermon-like dew that would come off the mountain cap and go down. Be like oil running, falling down. <clears throat> the picture is of that dew running down from the largest of mountains, Hermon. See that? To the mountains of Zion. So you have in the north Mount Hermon with the dew that uh, geographically would spread down to the lesser elevations, presumably Zion, Jerusalem. In the same way, do you see the picture? You have a high and lofty flow that affects those further down. That is anointing that flows from the head to the body, the peak to the place. That's anointing that flows from God to God's people and to God's place. Today, church, this is anointing that flows from the summit, the Christ, and flows down to his people and to his dwelling place, the holy city. Bowmanville, unity flows from one anointing only, and we've said that just by way to close this point, from the Christ, from the head, from the summit. One more here to close out the psalm, and it's the back half of chapter 3. Look at it with me. Look at the end of verse 3. And here we see the blessing. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So let's observe each detail here to do this text justice. First, the location. Look again. For there, that's a pointer. For there, you would say, where is there? There points all the way back to the end of verse 1. It says, where brothers dwell in unity. Where brothers dwell together. That's the where. So the location is where the brothers are dwelling in unity. That's what's in view here, the place of unity. And the place of unity, the dwelling together in unity, receives what? What's the text saying? Next detail to note, back to verse 3, the blessing. There, the blessings received by command of God. And I want you to note this, look carefully, not just a blessing. It would be good to have one of many blessings, wouldn't it? But that's not what the text is saying. Look very closely, it says, but the blessing. Unity receives something very definite. 
And what's amazing here, blessing, and I'm sure you've heard this before, we say it with the versus, you know, you could say the blessing versus a blessing. That's called an, an article. But in the original, it has two pointers on it. In the Hebrew, you have these little markers that sit on words. It's got that too. In other words, neon lights, flashing, don't miss this, the blessing. The blessing. Here, in unity. It's being pointed to definitely. Here again, there's actually two ways divine authorship is saying, look at this. Look at the spotlight. So what is the blessing? Why the highlights? For that we observe another detail at the end of verse 3, and it's this life forevermore. That's the synonym for blessing. So what is the blessing? The blessing is life forevermore. In other words, the blessing is that. This is what it is. Life forevermore. The blessing of dwelling together, of dwelling in unity, is life forevermore. You say, really? Just get along and that will lead to long life? Maybe you're thinking that. Just get along. That's indeed what the so-called studies today will tell you, right? Just find ways to get along and you will add probably 10 to 15 years to your life. That may be what they are saying, but it's not what God's Word is saying here. It says there, again, which is when brothers dwell together in unity, the Lord God has commanded, that is strong, the blessing. So the qualifier to this kind of long life is unity is defined by God that is good and pleasant. Okay, so you say, well, not just get along, but I remember now what you're saying. So we just make sure we add singing and, and physically be together. Got it. Well, listen, there may be some quality of life to just general singing and generally being with others, right? Sure, but that's not what the Word of God is saying here. Remember, the unity here is not just dwelling together, not just singing together, but let's put it all together. Unity that is dwelling together with singing proximity, but that is under an anointing. Do you see that? That's what the text is pointing to. Unity is not random groups finding ways to get along without a fight, as we've said. That's common grace that might allow that. No true biblical lasting unity, Bowmanville, in this text is unity running down from the head. Unity that runs down the head to the beard all the way down to the neck. That anointing is the true dwelling together of unity. And for us, church, that anointing, that dwelling, remember, that blessing is Jesus Christ, our head. And again, so that we're clear, in Him and only in Him can brothers and sisters be truly united. That's a very unpopular thing to say, but it is true. There's no unity outside of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's very exclusive. It is, but the Word of God is making exclusive claims, is it not? Every in Christ statement in the New Testament is an exclusive statement. Thus in Him and only in Him then, if we put all the pieces together, does one find life forevermore? Eternal life. Only in Jesus Christ. The blessing. Church, in this season, the summer and beyond, this is what you must not forget. And remember, this is just by way of reminder, a summer charge as we go into the fall and all that's ahead. The blessing is what keeps the godly united. But it is also the blessing that many, many others do not know. How many people are not in this building today? Countless. How many people are headed to hell right now? 
Countless. Countless. Does that move your heart? Countless people do not not only know the unity in Jesus Christ, the sweetness you had when you walked through that door and saw the smiling face of a brother and sister in Christ, but they do not know what the unity will look like beyond the grave into eternity. Many do not know that. In fact, we would say many, many do not know. Bowmanville, how do you live in ungodliness? You remember the blessing, but by decree you have blessed to have. But more, church, you consider those that are not in Christ and thus not headed to life forevermore. It's often been said, I don't know about you, Bowmanville at Westmount, we have many people that are like, come, Lord Jesus, come, right? And you say, yeah, the Lord, if he was done with us on this earth, he would call us home. But we're still here, why? Because there are many that are perishing. And by his sweet providence and plan, he uses us to proclaim that gospel so that there would be another worshiper in that kingdom one day. They're not headed to life forevermore. In godliness, you do consider the ungodly. We must. My brothers and my sisters in the weeks ahead, be ready to speak to them. I short of guarantee you, you're going to have opportunities to speak to them. If you think the world is falling apart now, just wait. Always be ready to make a defense of this hope, the blessing that's within us. This hope of life forevermore, only found in the blessing, only found in Christ. Christ thus, why is he that? And we need to end with this review. He bore the penalty for the unity impediment. Why can people not be united? Because their whole nature is against God. And Christ bore the penalty to bring us back and to reconcile us. Christ secured unity then, not just in this life with what we have, church, but this is just a preview, is it not? I sometimes often am so just sweetened and buoyed up by that thought. Loved walking in here, loved seeing my brother, family, seeing you again, but it is nothing compared to what's coming. You know what I mean? And that keeps us going. That keeps us unified. Christ secured that for us, life forevermore. He secured that for us. Not just getting to Monday, and we're thankful that we can and thankful that you especially do with Tony, but into eternity. We'll take this into eternity. And Christ, our head, secured that anointing, eternal life for us forevermore with Father, Son, and Spirit. I lied one more thing, then we close. Like your pastor... I'm not on social media, so that's one very unifying thing Tony and I have. I am not. I don't want to be anywhere near social media. Uh, like Tony, so we've always enjoyed that. We're dinosaurs together, right? We enjoy that. And wouldn't you say, brother, and I think for many of you, it's very good. I, I don't want to be that guy, but I'll be that guy, right? It's, maybe it's, you know, just taking advantage of a moment, but it's very good to not be on social media. And over the past two and a half years of isolation, someone shared with me, people at the church, they know that I'm not, so they'll share with me, did you know what's going on on social media? So they'll share with me these things. I always find them interesting, right? Kind of like this, I'm not on it, but I must admit to you sometimes, like, okay, well, that's a curious little interest in that. But listen, very seriously, they share with me both from professing Christians. Badge of honors. I think they have fancy names like memes and stuff for them that Christians want to put on 
on social media, boasts about the past two years, and some of them go something like this. One said, I haven't seen my parents all year. That's how I'm in it together. I haven't seen my parents all year, and I'm going to boast about that. I worship in my living room. That's a boast. That's how I'm taking it for the team. Just me in my living room. It's hard, isn't it? These are boasts. Much I want to say to that, but I must digress because we need to close with this. Don't buy the lie that we're better apart. Bowmanville, please don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie that we're better apart than being together like we are this morning. That lie divides, does not unite. Beloved, it has never been God's way and never will be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, of course, gave his life for the sake of the gathered church. You know that well, don't you? He preached about the importance of being together and being united under Christ. He said this just before he died. I quote, It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual, and listen to this, is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege, and that would be us, Bowmanville, Westmount, living in a common Christian life in unity with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of our heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we're allowed to live in harmonious unity in community with Christian brethren. End quote. Living united, note that, living united in community with the brethren. It is indeed a grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the grace, the great grace of living united under our head, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that at Bowmanville, at Westmount, and even together as uh, sister congregations, Lord, we enjoy the sweetness of unity that flows from Jesus Christ. Lord, may we never forget that in the days ahead. Arm us, equip us, ready us, make our minds sharp for the importance of singing together, being together, doing life together. Oh God, help us, we pray, with thanksgiving and praise to the glory of your name. Amen.